Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? I don't want to trigger anybody today mm. who predominantly wears black because huh. I feel like it's a lot of our audience. <laughs> yeah, you know why I mean? not? It's like, the best. We're not trying to shame goths. No. But mostly who we are trying to shame, though, is it's people in suits. Oh. <laughs> because people in suits are scary because you never hear like, and so when I heard the door knocking, one, two, three. And it didn't sound like a normal knocking. It sounded like a pounding. And then I turned the knob and I opened up the door. And it was a man in a hot dog costume. <laughs> <laughs> that's never scary. No, that's You're always ne- like, hot dog man! Yeah. <laughs> Warren Buffett on a Saturday. What's going on, man? All right, welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hello! And we got beautiful Henry Zabrowski over there on our in our West Coast studios. I'm so fucking psyched. <laughs> I also have never been so chock full. I think I may have done more research for this episode than even the Scientology episode. Yeah. And it is ruining my life. All right. Like this, 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 this episode's get into my fucking brain. I was having men in black fucking nightmares. Yeah, let me This shit is creepy as shit. Let's jump right in so you can get it all out of your brain so you can be smart again. Because if you listen to the this week's side stories, Henry came full circle. Really dumb. Like (laughs) his brain was full of too much. Uh, So let's get that out today. We are going to be covering the Men in Black, and uh, wow, I had no idea, per usual, how weird (laughs) these stories really are. So the Men in Black phenomenon is among the most widely known aspects of UFO culture, mostly due to the series of movies starring Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. Yes. Cue the song, Marcus. Here come the men in black. <laughs> oh, very good. Nice. <laughs> Galaxy <laughs> Defender. Sugar water. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, uh, Frank, your, your skin is falling off. I've been working on my Tommy Lee Jones impression. Yeah? You guys ready? Yeah, let's see. You ready for this? Yeah. It's for the show. Where does he get these wonderful tools? <laughs> well, that's that's uh, Jack Nicholson from Batman. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> However... <laughs> The actual story of the Men in Black is much more multifaceted than a simple summer blockbuster. Really? Thank you, Marcus. You're welcome. It was a pretty complex film. <laughs> no. The, the emotional aspect of it between Tommy and Will. They, it was a complicated relationship, it yes. It was. 
So over the course of the next two episodes, we're going to cover the men in black in all of their potential forms, mm. from your classic G-men suppressing tales of UFOs to full-on demons hell-bent on manipulating the world. Oh, my goodness. Seriously, I'm going to go ahead and take your Warner Brothers branded men in black memory erasing flashbulb uh-huh. and throw it out the window. And we'll maybe use it or whatever. Forget everything that you've ever known oh, we gotta about use the it men then. in black. You gotta use yes, it. Yes, fucking use it. All right, use it. But I think technically we owe money to Warner Brothers if we if you do use okay. it. Okay. Um, but uh, this story is a uh, tale. It is a phenomenon that it has. I've obviously been tangentially into for many, many years. And when you fu- when you further dive into the subject, number one, it's definitely like a uh, 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 open a manhole to the deepest, darkest recesses of ufology. Okay. It is, uh, we are going to be covering soup to nuts. Every <laughs> single theory uh-huh. that gets looped into uh, the Men in Black story that Im- that is anywhere in the UFO- ufological world. Inter- soup to nuts. I never understood that term, soup to nuts, because soup is a food, and the, and the nuts... Are also a food. No, they're a screw. <laughs> the, the nut- soup to nuts is soup all of... It's a, the tale of the original guy, actually. It's the true story of the the original Chef Boyardee, who was a real <laughs> chef, which is true. He was a chef yeah, in World War II, understood that he could mass-produce raviolis for our troops. Um, he was into splooshing. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Right, well, sticking his dick in some nuts. Oh, he's got it. Sticking his nuts in some soup. Oh, right. um, but the this is a truly frightening story. Okay. The Men in Black are the perennial real villains of the UFO world. The, the only thing close to them is the reptilians. Oh, and when you you get into their lore, I mean, honestly, I was definitely I was truly having nightmares. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. All right, makes sense. Can't wait to hear about it. Well, despite the myriad of different tales told about the Men in Black, mm-hmm. there's one thing that all Men in Black stories share. No matter what the ultimate aim of the various men in black are, the common denominator in all these stories is the keeping of secrets. Secrets, secrets are no fun. (gasps) However, what the secrets are and the reasons behind the secrets tend to vary depending. (laughs) I know you have to, if you wish for secrets like that, it's like they want to tell you it. Well, the reasons behind the secrets tend to vary depending on what form the men in black take. Okay. Some of it is indeed just about the cover-ups, but other stories belie something either far more sinister or far more mystical. Secrets. Or both. Okay. What? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Both. But before we get into those stories, let's acknowledge our main source for today. Today's book is The Real Men in Black by Nick Redfern, which is a really fun collection of stories that I'd highly recommend for anyone into Grant Morrison-style high strangeness. And we interviewed him for our Patreon series, and I will say, upon looking at the picture of the back of this book and also talking to him in person, I don't even know how he holds his keys from being covered in pussy juice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you really, if you dig the invisibles and all, like, the really weird shit that is underneath the story of the Invisibles, like the Real Men mm-hmm. in Black, is absolutely the book for you. All right. Also, but and and I'll also bring up uh, the case book on the Men in Black by Jim Keith, which is another book that I have been reading. Never mind. I'm. It's, we'll get to it. And I yeah. would like to also bring up this unused script from Men in Black 4. <laughs> I personally discovered it while we were in Los Angeles, and it's got a lot of things to say about society. <laughs> So, let's begin the tale of the men in black in the mid-1940s with the concept's originator. All right. Albert Bender. Cool. 
That's a pretty good name for a concept originator of the uh, most. Usually, these guys have goofier names. Albert Bender. Albert Bender's a great str- name. Yeah, strong guy. This guy is a proto nerd. Yeah, okay. he is the prototype of the super nerd, and he was the first person to ever be visited by the Men in Black. Really. Albert Bender was a chief timekeeper at the Acme Shear Company, which was, at the time, the world's largest manufacturer of scissors. Wait, hold on a second. You're telling me that this guy was the chief timekeeper <laughs> when everyone is busting their ass to make scissors so that you can inevitably stab your family with them? He's just like, what do you do? He's like, I keep the time. Yeah, that's it. I am the timekeeper. We got seven minutes left on the afternoon shift to get all these papers all snip snipping because they're not going to snip themselves. Let's go. <laughs> snip it up, everybody. Let's put some snip into it. All right, come on. It's a scissor factory. That's amazing. So this guy, he was like one of the first first jobs to be lost to automation. In this case, just a clock. Very much so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'd imagine, and I mean, I don't know exactly how these assembly lines work, but I would imagine in an assembly line type of atmosphere, right. a guy keeping time on everything and making sure that everybody is doing mm. exactly what they should exactly when they should is a very important job. Maybe I'll like him uh, maybe a little bit further on in the story, but right now I hate the chief timekeeper. <laughs> but a part of it is that I, I think it's a lateral like move because at some point he's sitting there being like, I have a question. Why have we not developed any left-handed scissors? And they're like, Yo, how about we make you the timekeeper? <laughs> not the most hated position in the factory. <laughs> Because of Albert's obsession with time, he kept 20 chiming clocks in the attic room where he lived, and every 15 minutes, they'd all go off at once. Wow. This guy, this is a, this is a Twilight Zone episode. Oh, yeah. I guess it kind of is in a weird way, huh? It really is, uh, especially because he turned his entire apartment into a horror house. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The house where that attic room was located was shared with his stepfather, but Albert made the best of it by painting his walls with super metal images of monsters and ghosts. All right. Like, he was actually a pretty cool guy. This dude was into it. He was in, he was watching the first, like, the formations of the first sci-fi movies. He was a big sci-fi nerd. All yeah. of the Amazing Stories articles is what he was deeply into. He, he loved adventure stories and things about flying saucers and ghosts and vampires and shit. And he lived in a creepy house filled with clocks. Yeah. And he also painted demons all over the walls, which he shared with his stepfather, uh-huh. which is a weird relationship to cohabitate with. Now, as Henry said, this guy, Albert Bender, made his room into a makeshift haunted house that he called his Chamber of Horrors, and he built the whole thing just to scare his friends when they came over. whole thing had, like, rubber bats, and he constantly played 1950s Halloween sound effects records full of thunder and sobbing. He'd invite the women over from the factories with their their other factory boyfriends, because when you work in a factory with women that are jobs are just, their jobs are to polish the scissors, and the men's jobs are to hit the scissors and they all have to keep each other sane so they don't start what stabbing each other with the scissors <laughs> it's a dangerous office yeah and so he would do these fun things where he invite everybody to have a party at his house and he's like you must see my chamber of horrors <laughs> and they all go up into the attic and where he lived with his stepfather right. and he's like never mind father he's not my real father and then he'd go and they'd be like looking around because also this is like the 1940s so they haven't seen shit like this they don't really understand the idea of a predilection with ghosts and demons and so they'd be like what the fuck is this and then he'd rig these things up where he could drop spiders from the ceilings oh, onto man. the girls. And he was like, 
and they just ran back to the arms of their strong boyfriends, and I say, who needs them? You miss. <laughs> I would never mess with anyone who works in a in a uh, in a sharp in a. It's a knife factory. Yeah, it's but, a glorified knife factory. Yeah, but you can just go buy knives. You don't have to get knives from work. No, but you could take them from work back in the day. You could just do that. Whatever. So, what was the wife still around? Or no, it was just him and his just stepfather. Just him and his stepfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Wow. Two single dudes just fucking having a killer time. Man. <laughs> You're right about. That is a strange combo. See, Albert, he came from one of those witchy families mm. who always told horrifying stories about what became of their relatives. You know those types of families where just something bad has happened to everybody. Right. Like, for example, one tale the family told said a relative died of a brain hemorrhage caused by a ghost that haunted the local cemetery. Yeah, that is fucking awesome. It was a hot ghost woman. Uh-huh. That's, that's a, true. Really? There's a lot of info here. But Bender also suffered from intense OCD, oh. as well as another possible undiagnosed condition, which may have contributed to some of his more fantastical interpretations of the events to follow, but... We'll get into that later. Honestly, OCD, probably a good condition to have for the chief timekeeper. The best condition to have for yes. chief timekeeper. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's how you make sure every second is accounted for and not a single snip is left on the fucking dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> So Albert Bender's deep dive into the paranormal began in 1946, a full year and a half prior to the Kenneth Arnold sightings, which many in the UFO community consider to be the first major credible sighting of modern times. Look that up if you want. Look that up if you want some good UFO history. It's the it's the first major recorded UFO sighting. He was a uh, he was a pilot, and he su submitted an official record of seeing these discs mm. flying around his plane. Yeah. So he's really on the forefront here of yeah. all of this stuff. Oh, yeah, because the whole thing with him started with the ill-fated Flight 19, whose disappearance kicked off the world's fascination with the Bermuda Triangle. Ooh. And now we know that that was ocean farts. <laughs> yeah, basically, right? <laughs> After that... Albert devoted every free moment he could find to researching the paranormal and the occult. By 1950, that research had intensified to the point where Bender felt confident enough to establish, along with a few buddies, one of the first UFO networks, the precursor to organizations like NICAP and MUFON. Ooh, so this is in the 1940s, just getting together with a bunch of other people. I feel like dressed really well, because everyone <laughs> just seemed to dress really well back then, and talking about UFOs. Everyone had the, like, mother of pearl, like, shirt with tan suspenders, tan <laughs> yeah. pants, with a weird kind of sweat stains on it, right. cigarette stain ties, a lot of, like, gooping using the hair, <laughs> even yeah. though they got nobody to look good for. Right. But they, they wake up every day, and they put pants and suspenders on, because it keeps them from off of themselves, because their feet too crooked to be in the war. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not so bad if you don't got to be in the war. Now, Bender's network was the International Flying Saucer Bureau, a.k.a. the IFSB. Cool. This is going to be me. Once I'm done with all this show business fucking bullshit, yeah. I'm going to be able to just discard all of this stuff and just go and just let my mind play and form a group of other like-minded individuals. Yes. And we will get to the bottom of the men in black issue. If I ever have children, I can't wait to go and have them visit Uncle Henry, and then I'll slowly like pull them closer to me, and then we'll leave. <laughs> you're, too, you're too innocent to handle the truth. I have been marred by the truth. Right, Turn into then. this bent creature. Good to see you, Henry. 
No, it took two years from the original conception of the IFSB for it to get off the ground. But when Mm. it finally did, the whole thing took off in part to its relatively popular magazine, Space Review. Here's my review, Jupiter. One star. (laughs) No tits on it. (laughs) I'm going to tell you what, one star, no tits on it also would not serve me a hot dog no matter how much I yelled at it. That is, it's a planet, so... But the IFSB nor Space Review were fated to last very long, as just a few months after it was all established, the harassment began. Who's They were getting harassed? They were getting harassed. Why are you going to harass these people? Oh, you're about to find out. Oh, my God. Leave them alone. <laughs> you didn't read the outline. Makes <laughs> <laughs> me more in the moment. No, I did. I pretend to forget it. <laughs> That's a trick. It's like when I take, I, it's like I have that little, that little men in black clicker. It's all a performance, Henry. See, that's the, my, my performance is so good that you don't you even think forget. I'm performing. Yes, yeah, that's true. Marcus can attest. I'm open. I'm looking at it right now. Good Lord. Well, well, the harassment began with what would become a regular part of men in black encounters. Phone calls. Now, when the MIB call, sometimes the receiver is met only with an eerie silence. Hmm. But I'm going to so- have to correct you on there. It's MIB. MIB. You've got to say it. You've got to say the MIB. Right. I will fight you on this. <laughs> yeah. All right. I have to say the MIB. I can't say MIB. I don't know. MIB makes them sound like they have the same body as the violator from Punisher. Like, I just feel like yes. they're like, hey, how are you? We're MIB. And it doesn't quite instill the fear of MIB, but at the same time, I like it, though. I do like it. It still, sounds so. like... The mentally handicapped man that J. Edgar Hoover kept underneath his desk that would suck on his feet all day. Well, thank God. I'm going to get that John Lennon. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. I won't call him Mibs anymore. I like Mibs. Now, is it? What's the difference between Men in Black and MIB? MIB uh, stands for a group of them. Mm. But doesn't men in black? It's not man in black. At no point is it ever a man in black. Are they ever alone? Yeah, they are. Okay. The uh, MIB. Is you say men in black when it is uh, you're talking about them uh, esoterically. Mm-hmm. Okay. MIB is the entire genre uh. of men in black. See, I, under- I believe MIB. No, no, no. Oh. Men in black. <laughs> men in black is the entomological <laughs> origin. You know what? I am actually understanding why this made you dumber. Just get <laughs> yes. it out. Get it out. The men in black <laughs> is the concept of okay. men in black okay. and MIB are a group of men in black. All right. <laughs> and Mibs, Mibs are not, not, not there. Not, not there. Not, not there. there. Not allowed. Not allowed. So when the MIB call Sometimes the receiver is met only with an eerie silence. But some people who have had experiences say that there's either a metallic screeching or a garbled robotic voice speaking nonsense. Tell me, do you like Kathy Griffin? (laughs) (laughs) You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Yeah, so they're they're pranking people. Well, they're intimidating people. Have an avocado sandwich, why don't you, my good friend? Are you my friend? You are my enemy, avocado sandwich. (laughs) Strange phone calls coming to the house this week. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day. But not this year. I'm coming back. 
Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest and... I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine. And it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God, I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. Hi. 
Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs, and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt, and I love planting things myself. And fast-growing trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. Now I don't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Well, in the case of Bender, it was just a stillness that inspired his anxiety. Mm. Then Bender started to believe he was being followed. After one night at a sci-fi movie, Bender went home, opened the door to his room, and was met with the overpowering stench of sulfur. He then saw a bright object hovering in the middle of the room, but when he turned on the light, it vanished. So Albert checked his research files, and due to his intense OCD, he knew for a fact that someone had been perusing. What? Secrets. Secrets, yeah. <laughs> or just like the stepfather looking for like a pair of socks to wear because he didn't want to go wash any of his own socks. And then that was- There's got to be a titty magazine somewhere in one of these shelves. <laughs> and things only got worse from there. For, hmm. for an entire year, Bender was put through the ringer, followed everywhere by the smell of sulfur, plagued with migraines and poltergeist activity, and most disturbing of all, he was haunted by men in black suits. Wow. He, there's a, a scene in this that I thought was it's pretty fun, where he is at the movie theater watching a movie, and he felt someone staring at him. I don't know if any of you, any of you have ever had that. I get it quite oh, a yeah, bit because I, I, I like to see horror movies alone, and I cackle throughout them. So people just kind of stare at me all the time. They're always eyeballing me. And it's just been like, do you really want to be eyeballing the man cackling alone in the in the horror movie? Like, should you be? Like, I don't think you should. You should leave him to his fucking devices. Well, so I, I, I don't know. I don't think you were really intimidating too many people either. Because <laughs> you also, you got, to, you got your big gulp, you got your nachos. Well, I have brought either a canned wine or a can <laughs> of beer. I'm sitting there drinking it in, on the, in the fucking go between between my legs, sucking on my vape. There's a lot of reasons people are looking at me. Sure. But I'm sitting there to imagine, but Alfred Bender's sitting there watching the movie and he feels something staring at him. Hmm. And then he looks over and there's a man at the crouched at the end of the row staring at him and his eyes are glowing like this wow, 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 wow. And then he's like, ooh, ooh what? And he lo- turns away, looks back, dude's gone. Hmm. And then he sees this again and again. He's walking to the streets alone, seeing these things 
with glowing eyes coming at him. And I have this whole scene in my head of him walking through the alleyways to that uh, Billy Idol song, Eyes Without a Face. The one that inspired Richard Ramirez. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know the rest of the words. So he's having a, he's having a real Pee Wee Herman experience in that movie theater. Everyone's just staring at him, doing whatever he's doing. Oh, yeah. My goodness. Yeah, and he said that every time he'd see these men, he'd feel stick, sick to his stomach. Hmm. Then they actually showed up at his house in a group of three. They were all wearing black suits and Hamburg hats, which are pretty much like a slightly different style of fedora. They're very nice hats and a lot better than fedoras overall. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Sure. I'd say it's definitely a choice. Yeah. <laughs> That's what people did back then, though. So the men communicated with Bender telepathically and told him that any and all research on UFOs should stop immediately. When he first got spoken to by them, at first he didn't know what was happening. What you would start to do is they have during the uh, the International Flying Saucer was a bureau. Yeah. International Flying Saucer Bureau, I believe. Yes. Well, during the IFSB meetings. They would have these belief. They would sit and be like, "We are first of all. What we're doing here is we're welcoming aliens to the planet Earth. Okay. We don't. We, at the time, there was a lot of fear of flying saucers and aliens. So they were like, we're going to be the welcome crew. So a part of what they used to do, which is now what Doctor quote unquote Doctor Stephen Greer does, mm. they sit in a circle and they would materialize. They would mentally picture themselves shooting up into the universe and sending a message of peace out saying come aliens come to us come on me oh, come come <laughs> right i think you're like, really stuck they, on the word there yeah and so <laughs> they would imagine he would imagine himself floating on a raft in the atlantic huh. and that was one of the, the like after he had started seeing them like and they broke into his house he said he met them and they they showed up in this weird this uh, this kind of non-space, this black space, and the first things they said to him, the, the first things they said to him, which is, I just want to happen to be so bad. You have dedicated yourself to the solution of the strange problem of unidentified objects in your atmosphere. Your interest is deep and sincere, and you have devoted many hours to it. We also know that such interest and determination might lead to something that could bring you harm. So then after that, they just be like, I also brought some punch. Uh, <laughs> and I know, I know, Steve, you were supposed to bring some cookies for, uh, for last week's mistake. Uh, what do you do? How do you even, like, look at these people after all this? Man, I mean, everybody's just like, wow. Wow. But yeah. then, oh, are wow. they friends in public? Like, no, what do you, even... you never acknowledge these secret you friends. You never acknowledge no, each other. No, no, other. it was no. like when we did, I did a group of all comedian D&D playing, we, we, it was a bunch of us playing D&D together, and no one would speak about it out loud to anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a secret. And the interesting thing about mm. that big ritual that they would do, where they would all sit around together, is they would print in space review, they would announce what date and time they'd be doing it, oh. and they would ask all the readers to do it at the same time. That's awesome! So they would ha yeah, and which also is really yeah. interesting because, you know, to bring up the Invisibles a little bit, uh -huh. Grant Morrison did much the same type of thing when the Invisibles was on the verge of being canceled. We talked about this before, where he asked all the readers to do a masturbation schedule all at the same time he, to he save did. the series from being canceled, wow. and it worked! Huh! Look yeah. at that. Oh, yeah. So these types of, like, mass, uh, these big, like, mass rituals are, you know, I wouldn't say they're real or anything like right. that, but, you know, there's there's something to it. There's something to all that shit. What, what, were, what if you were late? Would Bender, he would kick you out. 
Yeah. Like he's not yes. dealing with he's a timekeeper. That's his first okay. job, no matter what. Hmm. Well, Interesting. Well, after the men in black told Bender to seize all investigative activities, they then confiscated every copy of Space Review that they could find and disappeared in a cloud of yellow fog, again leaving behind the smell of sulfur. Mm. Farts. Right. <laughs> and so, just a year and a half after publication began, Space Review had its last issue printed with this message. The mystery of the flying saucers <laughs> is no longer a mystery. This source is already known, but any information about this is being withheld by orders from a higher source. Secrets. We would Secrets. like to print the full story in Space Review, but because of the nature of the information, we have been advised in the negative. Sorry. We advise those engaged in saucer work to be very cautious. All right. Is it possible the sulfur, maybe it was a, a dangerous situation with the sewers. You do want <laughs> no, to you're thinking of methane. Sulfur and methane are two very different. They smell different? different? Very different. Very yeah, different. Yeah, smells, though. yeah, sulfur smells Think like hell and uh, methane smells like farts. That's what farts are. I They're thought methane. that sulfur smelled. Like, I mean, sulfur has a bit of a fart smell. To no, no, it. it's like sulfur's matches. I don't know. I don't know. You know what I mean? I never took that sommelier class where I could <laughs> I smell the different <laughs> things right. and tell what it is. Well, I guess the sulfur actually you light a match after something. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Sulfur covers up the fart. Sure. Cancels out. Yes. Now, of course, a cryptic message like the one Henry just read was perfect fodder for the already competitive and paranoid field of UFO research. These guys have been jealous of each other from the very beginning. Oh, they weren't getting along. Oh, well, different UFO groups are very jealous of other UFO groups because they all want to be the only one with the story. Right. And even though Bender dropped the story for the time being, a fellow IFSB member named Gray Barker picked it up and ran with it. Okay. In 1953, Barker published a book called They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. Uh, what's your book all about? <laughs> that is the most self-descriptive title of all time. They all had to be like that because you people were buying things. They didn't, have to, they didn't get to read reviews back in the day. You'd have to actually mm. choose a book by its cover. So you had right. to make it good. Okay. Yeah. And that book featured Albert's story, and it coined the name which would serve as the catch-all boogeyman for conspiracy theorists everywhere, the Men in Black. Ooh. Now, Barker is an interesting character here because he was at the same time a believer and a known hoaxer who liked to play pranks on his fellow ufologists. Okay. He even did it like the fellow Men in Black believers. He'd crank call them, uh, like specifically the most gullible ones, and he'd imitate like the, the harassment that the Men in Black would do. Interesting. Hey, uh, hello. Um, <laughs> is Mr. Bender there? <laughs> yeah, this is... Yeah, hey, hey buddy. Is, yeah. yeah, my name's Tom. I'm one of the guys in uh, black. Yeah. Yeah, man. I've been what? You should return yourself to the asshole store. Bye. Oh! <laughs> That's sad. Yeah, I mean, I guarantee you these guys, as soon as that prank call ended, they'd be like, could have done without that. Uh, it's not as if my days are going extremely well as it is. Uh, could have, would have been nice if it was a, Pleasant phone call. 
<laughs> Poor guys. Oh, yeah. And Barco, Barker, he also liked to egg people on, particularly Albert Bender. <laughs> like, for, like, he would just yeah. encourage these guys, and he would build up the story, like, almost gaslighting them. Right. And, like, telling them that the stories were something that were actually much bigger than they remembered it being. But it really muddies up. Where's the truth? Yeah. Well, that's what... The, the, uh, later on, other ufologists will go on to say that Barker wrote both books, because we'll find out that also Bender wrote a book... Well, I'll get into that after that. Let me get into that after that. Yeah. Um, but Bender was really serious about the story. There's, a, there's mm. a core truth in this that seems to be, at some point, he was actually approached by, like, feds at some point and telling him to stop it. And then it, that was the original impetus to stop the IFSB. He was mm. getting really fucking paranoid. And um, at the time, like, obviously, when you are dealing with all this alien stuff, for him, it was, like, goofy, goofy. But then it seemed to be there actually were eyes on him. And then Barker went and kind of flipped it up to sell some books. I yeah. see. Okay. So uh, Barker doesn't seem to be a nice... He's not the nicest guy. He's, he's uh, playing around uh, a little bit. Uh, it's he's, a part of the mythos. Of ufology is storytellers like Barker. Okay. Yeah. And so, like, Bender, for a while, he stuck to the, you know, relatively tame, if not spooky, Men in Black story that he originally told. Okay. But nine years after that encounter, Bender published a book called Flying Saucers and the Three Men. And who, boy, is it it a doozy? No. I read about 30 pages of it. And it gets pretty erotic. <laughs> it gets erotic? <laughs> There's a lot of, actually, a lot of erotic writing going on with these characters. Really? Specifically one guy that we're going to talk about later on. In the but alien yeah. abduction sense of erotica, like the fellow that we interviewed, Henry? Yes. Oh, I oh, see. yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets real Barbarella with it. And so he's writing all of this stuff next to his stepfather? <laughs> Just like staring at his stepfather. Yeah, man, because the okay. sex isn't happening in his room all next right. to his stepfather, so it's happening in his mind. Okay. No, they're not all living in the attic together. No, I, no but I thought that he's <laughs> house. Like, you gotta go, you meet at the refrigerator because you're both a little hungry, and he's like, what are you working on? And if you're like, I wish I could tell you, stepfather, but it's disgusting for me to discuss with you. So, no, he would've been like, you can tell me all about it, I'm a stepfather. Stepfathers, all we do is fuck. <laughs> well, in the story of the flying saucers and the three men, the men in black didn't just threaten Bender and vanish into a cloud of yellow fog. In this version, the three men surrounded Bender and rendered him unconscious with nothing more than a touch of their hand on his shoulders. Mm. Next thing Bender knew, he had awoken in a secret underground alien base in Antarctica. Ooh. There, the men in black told him that they were not human but were in fact only appearing to be so, inhabiting bodies they'd stolen from earthlings. What? Do you imagine getting your body stolen? <laughs> what a rough day that is. Just going back to your wife and be like, I'm a ghost. They took my body. I promise you, it's still me. Yeah, like Ghost Dad, Aww. which is unfortunately a bad reference now. <laughs> <laughs> now. The aliens went on to say that our planet, planet Earth was a cursed planet full of suffering and chaos and unlike any other planet in the galaxy. The only reason why they came to our shanty town of a planet was because they needed our seawater as a power source. Yeah, not so shitty now, is it? <laughs> yeah, you got that you need our little you need half of our planet, don't you? <laughs> And we were only one of the many planets used. Pretty much as like, they looked at us as like an intergalactic gas station in a bad neighborhood. All right. Hell yeah, man. We're the street trash now. Hell yeah. (laughs) We scare everybody else. (laughs) So after berating Bender for 
God knows why, the alien <laughs> revealed his true form. And turns out, the alien was almost identical to the artist's representation of what we know as the Flatwoods Monster of Braxton County, West Virginia. Woo! What, I mean, and that's not the only time West Virginia will be brought up in this story. Just please tell me you didn't turn into like a giant spider like the end of it. Like what <laughs> that did you turn awesome. into? Kind of sort of like the the Flatwoods monster is among the more terrifying looking cryptids uh, where it's got these huge red round eyes. Mm. It's got kind of a hood behind its head but that kind of looks like a big plant, like long arms with big spindly fingers cool. and it wears uh, like a ver- like kind of a dress but like a weird like silver one. Ooh. It's very creepy, and it's much akin to the Mothman. Yeah. With okay. big glowing eyes, and it looks like a big old labia with an alien face in the middle of it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, that's exciting. Like uh, Mosh and Thrasher. Remember that? The Headbangers. Oh, yeah. Remember them? They what does fun. that have to do with this? They wear skirts. Oh, I'm just oh, trying to connect. Oh, you I just any way to connect. I'm like, whatever. It's, I heard the word skirts. I'm like, I remember when a tag team used to wear skirts. So I, I don't know. I understand. I understand. So after these guys got Bender good and scared, they sent him back to his attic with a warning. They said, quote, You are charged to keep our secret. We do not wish to take extreme action, and you will find that you will often consider giving away some part of this information. When you get such thoughts, you will be reminded of the consequences by headaches, which will be almost unbearable to you. At such times, beware of more serious conditions we can bring about. A four-hour erection. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> got you, got you, Bender. See if oh, man! Better <laughs> done without that. <laughs> Now, Henry, maybe you can answer this, but why did they do that? What do you mean? Why did they take him all the way to Antarctica just to tell him that humans are a bunch of pieces of shit and then tell him and then show them who they actually were and why they were there and then tell him don't tell no one? I literally have the word for word their reason from the book Casebook on the Men in Black. (sighs) Thank you. We feel that you are a very good contact for us on your planet of Earth. You are an average person, and we know that what we tell you and show you will not be believed by anyone you might tell. Yeah. You are not a person of great renown on your planet. Therefore, we have nothing to fear at present. I like that he got a little self-defacing humor in there. <laughs> uh, no, that was the alien saying no, that. No, I know. Yeah, but he was yes. writing. But he was writing. But that's the thing. That's still not a reason. I'm asking why they told why not why they told him specifically that. Why they would tell anybody? Because no one's going to believe him. But didn't, he's just an average person. Yeah, but why would they because tell even an average person? This is They're second episode bored. stuff, Marcus. This is this is trickster god shit. Uh, this is a trickster god shit that's been around since the beginning of time. And mm. that they pull you up, they yank you out of their life, they, link, they yank you out of your life specifically just to fuck with you. Mm. Just to, And half the time, what have we learned about aliens? Even if aliens are real and you've been abducted, why should we fucking trust them? Mm. Which is the double layer of paranoia that creeps into your mind as you really begin. 
begin to study UFOs. That's how you really begin to understand that you've yeah. become a ufologist when you can't even trust the words out of the aliens' mouths. <laughs> yeah, Marcus, you bring up a good point, and I'm sure there are men in black who just go back to their men in black managers and are like, why do we have to abduct this guy again? Like, why do we have to bring him to wherever the hell we're going to bring him? What is the point, sir? You are not to ask the reasons why. You are to do and die. Uh, <laughs> now, they'll do. Now, admittedly, that story's kind of goofy. A little goofy. It's a little goofy. However, there very well could be some truth to Bender's story. Hmm. It could just be that Bender filtered his visit by men in black through the lens of mental illness combined with a close friend's wild imagination. Okay. Now, back in the early 50s, and this is true, the FBI put together a group of scientists called the Robertson Panel, whose job was to assess the national security implications of all the UFO sightings that plagued America for the previous half decade. Hmm, that's good. Maybe you put them in a big rubber band and say, you don't get out of that rubber band until you solve the UFO issue. And that'll be good. And then that'll keep yeah. them together. Oh, so the government works like Double Dare. Yeah, kind of. And it's head, headed by Mark Summers. Speaking of OCD, I love Mark Summers. Oh, yes. Now, the panel ended up concluding that the UFOs in and of themselves were not a threat if they ever were indeed alien craft and not just misidentified objects in the first place. Hmm. Quote, unquote, Robertson panel, quote, unquote, not a threat. It's your fucking answer to the fact that they cl- they needed a reason to close Project Blue Book after they already used the poor the poor man that, w- they, that was dragged through the mud, J. Allen Hynek, who was forced to debunk all these alien uh, uh, yeah. visitations and UFO sightings where he, d- d- he had it ended up flipping him into a belief because of how much she had to lie for the government. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, what was the uh, last episode that we brought up Heineck on? I think our last Alien episode, we talked about Heineck a lot and this whole uh, phenomenon, right? Hudson Valley Triangle. Hudson, Hudson Valley Triangle. Valley. Yeah, so if you want to know more about all that, go listen to our Hudson Valley Triangle episodes. But what the Robertson panel ended up deciding was that while the UFOs themselves were not dangerous, the ideas of UFOs were. See, America was fresh out of the Korean War at this point, which, you know, the Korean War was essentially a proxy war between us and the Russians. Mm. The Russians had backed the North, we'd backed the South. And while Cold War paranoia was not yet at its zenith, the military was extremely concerned that a sneak attack from the Ruskies could come at any moment. And it still can! <laughs> yeah, I feel like they're making all of these decisions while eating white bread with liverwurst. Just like, yes. just like Walter Matthau in the movie Charade. I feel like they ate Ooh. a lot of that. It's so good. You get some raw onion on it with some really, really intense horseradish mustard. You can never kiss like a, a person you love ever again. Right. But it's an incredible sandwich. Okay. But with all the UFOs being seen on what seemed to be a daily basis, it was thought that the public's, and by extension, the military's minds, would be muddled by all this UFO talk, and the Reds would be able to slip right through. There's all, It's very interesting, because there were uh, UFO sightings uh, in the early 1950s above the White House. That was, um, it was A lot of people called them in. Pilots called them in. It was a, documented, a well-documented sighting, and they weren't concerned about the aliens. They were like, okay, whatever, we'll, we'll get to that. But mostly they were just concerned about, we've scrambled jets to go after these UFOs. 
the Russians will just attack us one of these times. Mm-hmm. And what if they're making the UFOs? Because now that's a whole other side jaunt to this whole story is the beginnings of people, like, it, whether it's a kind of a chicken and the egg scenario, whether you believe somebody, uh, like, uh, if you believe uh, Philip Corso that wrote all the book about Roswell, but the idea is that when Roswell, cra- when the, the ship that crashed at Roswell, they were trying to, like, retro-make it into a UFO of their own. And there were spe- there were several countries trying to make these, like, weird saucer-like planes. Mm. So th- they were thinking that, number one, uh, this could be a-, a foreign technology that's coming to attack us. And number two, the people that are propagating the belief in the extraterrestrial version of the story of UFOs could be filled with communists that are right. using it to distract us. I just don't feel like they had that technology because... They had satellites so easy, a dog could pilot it. (laughs) You know, so maybe they weren't quite there yet. Maybe. Now, after the Robertson panel, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, Uh known for cracking down on subversive cultural elements in America, gave his own two cents. He started to think that the commies might start infiltrating UFO groups like Albert Bender's IFSB. (laughs) Hoover's thinking went that one of these guys in one of these groups could create a panic were they to gain enough credibility. Mm -hmm. And that panic would distract the Air Force, which would leave America wide open for a sneak Russian attack. That makes all the sense in the world, Mr. Hoover. Thank you for coming (laughs) into the war room today to tell us your strategy and plan. Yeah, and the whole Russian thing, that's in conspiracy thought, too. Now, if you'll remember, we actually, we covered Roswell very extensively. If you'll remember from our Roswell series, one theory about the 19th 1947 crash is that the craft was just a Soviet experimental aircraft Mm. stuffed with deformed Russian mental patients sent to create an alien panic that never happened. Uh, I mean, it uh, kind of did happen, didn't it? Area 51, we all know it. But that's the thing. It wasn't ever a panic. It's more of it is a uh, fascination fascination and a distraction, but it was never a panic. And a great destination for tourists. They were afraid it was going to become a panic. Right. But I will tell you what, the one thing that that theory taught me to never do is open a pinata in Russia because you oh. I never want to see that shit. Oh I never want that goodness. to be. No. Yeah, and the alien question was so burning in the minds of the government that J. Edgar Hoover actually sent out for a copy of Gray Barker's book They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. And that's actually a matter of public record. Really? There are many there are many records on the book that showed that J. Edgar Hoover was actively researching these UFO groups. Mm-hmm. He really felt I mean obviously we know how paranoid and how awful J. Edgar Hoover was, but he went deep into it. So there, there is a whole world of of feds investigating these UFO researchers that I honestly think is the first indication of where these men in black stories came from. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, it seems like they're taking these people a little too seriously, aren't they? It's just a group of guys getting Fuck together. Fuck you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's I'm real. Saying, but if you're J. Edgar Hoover, like, we got really big issues going on, civil rights, war, all this kind of stuff. I, no. I, it's interesting that they took all the time to, to investigate these folks. It shows how seriously they took the UFO issue yeah. and how until yeah. then they've been and since then they have been ridiculing the issue oh, and, yeah. and saying that people that believe in UFOs are cranks because they don't have the answers that they're, they are supposed to give to the American people to create the stability that they crave to keep their fucking corporatocracy going mm-hmm. or they do have the answers and they're not telling us yeah I mean the American government can't go I don't know I don't know <laughs> I don't know whatever I don't know <laughs> So pretty soon, 
J. Edgar Hoover started sending out FBI agents out and about to ask a few questions. Mm. And it just so happened that the Robertson panel, which was top secret at the time, was formed the same year that Albert Bender had his experience with the men in black. In fact, Gray Barker, author of the book that first mentioned the men in black, got a visit of his own from a few guys who were particularly interested in the IFSB. Wow. The story goes that a few weeks before the visit, Bender had printed out business cards for his <laughs> IFSB book friends, oh, and he gave Barker a set of business cards that named him as Chief Investigator. I oh. love nerds so much <laughs> yeah. because we all love, because I'm the same way, you know, I love yeah, a right. lanyard as we've talked about oh, with course. my MUFON VIP investigator lanyard. I love it. It makes you feel secure. Right. It's nice to have the card because when someone says like, what do you do? You don't have to say, I live with my stuff. Father, you right. can say I am chief investigator of the IFSB. Really, I love that they all live like Buzz Lightyear before he found out he was a toy. Like he, they are very serious about their mission, and they are—they're really into their roles. Yeah, but they also these guys—you can also tell they have like. A, back then, at least, they had a little bit of a sense of humor about themselves. Okay. Like, and they were also uh, they weren't quite as serious about all of it. They were having fun. Okay. In other words, I mean, like these no guys joke. were having a ton of fun with each other. To get it, I mean, this is the before Vista Print. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is it's tough to get a card back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah. Who? Which one of you listeners remembers the f- the free Vista Print uh, b- business uh, cards? Because I used to have piles of those that I all didn't. Of us. I got for some fucking reason. Yeah. No idea why. Yeah, didn't even have a job, and I still had them. Yeah, great idea. <laughs> the first step to a career. <laughs> this this stupid ass little piece of paper. Well, it was these IFSB business cards that brought the FBI to Barker's doorstep. Now, Barker said that he'd only given a few of these business cards to some close friends, and as far as he knew, they all still had them. What? The FBI was like, they got business cards now, it's getting serious? I guess, because according to the agents that were asking the questions, one of those cards had been found in the pocket of a mysterious man who had shown up in a Florida hospital suffering from unexplained seizures. Okay. But apparently, Barker's assertion that he knew of no such man satisfied the agents because all they did was thank him for his time, and then they left, and they were never seen nor heard from again. Hmm. And that's not the only one of these types of stories. There's another story that is about a man named Harold Dahl that uh, sighted a crashed UFO on Maury Island uh, in 1947, three days before Kenneth Arnold observed his UFOs. And he saw, basically, he saw uh, saw an object crash. He went and he was flying above it. He went and he looked at, he was, because he was another pilot. He saw a bunch of weird white metal spread along this beach. Uh, he got his friend, Fred Crisman, to fly him back over to go pick up a bunch of this metal. And then eventually they didn't know what to do with it. So then the story of Kenneth Arnold came out. And because he was like, they, they called him and said, would you come and help us deal with this, you, our own UFO story? And he showed up. They were hmm. paying him. They were all like going through all of this, this weird metal, this white, heavy, like very like light for what it's supposed to be metal. And then all of a sudden this guy just showed up. The fucking G-Man showed up. And he... So it was like, hey, so we're going to take all this where you guys are. You guys didn't see any of this shit or we're going to throw you in jail forever. 
and peace and just like and just left and it was like they don't even know how he fucking heard about the story wow yeah. it seems like there's less alien crashes or ufo crashes than before maybe they're becoming better drivers is that possible <laughs> is that possible <laughs> well navigating our environment better hey you know actually uh that is kind of sort of a theory that we're going to get into the next episode <laughs> when we start talking about aliens and saying they navigate the the environment better and uh, know a little bit more about our dimension all right or our time and it goes it gets better as the century marches on okay well barker was by no means the only person being visited by the men in black in 1953 that same year two of them showed up in an attorney's office in parts unknown as the story was told to ufo investigator harold t wilkins under condition of anonymity According to the source, two six-and-a-half-foot-tall, abnormally thin men hmm. dressed in the classic men in black, black suit, black fedora, one-two, appeared one day unexpectedly in the attorney's office where the source worked. Interesting. These two men were immediately given high-level jobs within the company, but no one but the head boss knew who they were or what exactly it was that they were supposed to be doing there. Hmm. But what people did know was that the two men weren't normal. For example, their wrists and hands didn't seem to have any joints at all. Really? And they appeared as if they had only a vague notion of how a human acted, as if they had just, like, skimmed an inter- informational pamphlet a few days earlier. But it's weird with them where it's like they didn't know how doors worked. They yeah. would, like, walk up to shit and be like, what is this apparatus? And they're like, that's a door. How'd you even get in here if you couldn't use it in the first place? And so it's yeah, like dude. the high strange just kind of starts immediately. Interesting. Yeah. It would be hard to open a door without without bones in your fingers. Yeah, I suppose so. If you had yeah. no joints or anything. Right. But, it, I mean, that's the thing. Maybe they were just, like, some sort of vegetable material that could be bent at will. Could be. Could oh. be. Or they could only enter places that are the push door. <laughs> <laughs> then how do you get out? <laughs> Well, in addition to all that, these guys also had superhuman strength. On one occasion, one of the guys, despite being impossibly skinny, put his (laughs) hand on a metal filing cabinet to steady himself. And when he removed his hand, his fingers had left indentations half an inch deep. Cool. Tofi. Yeah, like me. Oh, yeah. Thin on the outside, fat on the inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, of course, one of the employees who were freaked out beyond belief called the FBI, as one did in those days when suspicious characters were about. Wow. But the MIBs must have gotten word, because hmm. by the time the FBI showed up, the strangers were gone. Interesting. Today's last podcast on the left is brought to you by Blue Apron. Skip meal planning and get straight to cooking with Blue Apron. Enjoy unforgettable meals inspired by the vibrant cooking of the Mediterranean, like seared salmon and spicy orange salsa. Centered around fruits, veggies, lean meats, and plenty of olive oil, these recipes are deliciously nutritious. With incredible ingredients and chef-designed recipes, Blue Apron lets you see the power of what food can do. Blue Apron delivers farm-fresh ingredients and and step-by-step recipes to your door, and the menu changes every week based on what's in season and is designed by Blue Apron's in-house culinary team. Blue Apron offers three plans, the two-person meal plan, the family meal plan, and the wine plan. We here at the Parks Hidalgo household love Blue Apron because, you know, we are extremely busy people. We both do a lot of podcasts, so we don't have a whole lot of time for grocery shopping, and that's why it's wonderful to come home and have a Blue Apron 
Heartburn box sitting on your doorstep. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free at blueapron.com slash L-E-F-T. That's blueapron.com slash L-E-F-T to get your first three meals free. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Now, these are just examples of what I would say is the more normal half of the Men in Black stories. Wait, what? Which is where we're... <laughs> that, was, more that was the normal, normal half? <laughs> yeah, buddy. Uh, yeah. Just, can I get a Bud Light line? Because I don't think I can handle all... If that's the normal half, I think I got to check, please. <laughs> this is the shit where Men in Black are very scary. There's a part of it where we're about to head into the high strangeness area of the Men in Black. Hmm. The part where they kind of uh, jump the plot... Where they go from being misconstrued G-men to being the demons of the ufology world. Okay. So on September 11th, 1976, Dr. Herbert Hopkins, a general practitioner who practiced hypnotherapy, received a visit from the men in black concerning an alleged alien abductee the Hopkins had been working with named David Stevens. Oh, all right. And that's when they had really, really nice pocket watches to put you to, <laughs> to get you into that zone. Yeah, yeah, that's where you have to be. And then, then they suck your dick first. I don't that's think a part that of the process. <laughs> So David Stevens' abduction was pretty run-of-the-mill, but it still caught the attention of the men in black, which is actually fairly common in these cases. It's actually rare that the men in black show up on the scene of a sighting that's gotten a lot of media attention. Why is that? We'll get into it. Okay. We'll get into it, Kissel. Just be patient. I'm just asking questions here. So one night, Hopkins got a phone call from someone claiming to be from the New Jersey UFO Research Organization, a.k.a. Najufro. Yeah, (laughs) Najufro, man. Thing was, though, the Najufro didn't really exist. What do you mean? There was no Najufro. Well, then who called? (laughs) The man in black did. Oh, my. From Jersey. Oh, But Hopkins took the stranger at his word and invited him over that very same night. And this here is another fairly common occurrence when it comes to men in black encounters. Oftentimes, people go completely against their normal instincts and will invite these strangers into their home without ever really questioning it. It's only afterwards that they realize that they let a weird skinny stranger into a bl- in a black suit into their home just because the weird skinny stranger asked. Yeah, now, I mean, that is, how lonely do you have to be <laughs> to just be like, well, you've asked, so of course you can come over. You gotta, you gotta cross-check it with how many friends you have in common on Facebook. <laughs> like, you gotta do a whole thing. It's also very similar to the stories of the vampire <laughs> that we will get into also later on. Now, in Hopkins' case, as soon as he hung up the phone, he walked to the front door to turn on the porch light for the stranger but much to his surprise the stranger was already in his front yard and as soon as the light went on the stranger walked up to the door and knocked wow and when hopkins opened the door he found that the man was naturally dressed all in black Mm -hmm. but his skin was so white that the color was closer to a corpse than that of a living being. All right, let's not malign this well-dressed guy from Wisconsin. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, this is what he was. He this is the it's the he was like a living scarecrow, okay. and he showed up all fucking herky jerky, all weird, hmm. with his skin unnaturally white and his clothes just fucking hanging off of his body, just hovering in front of the door immediately after his phone call. Yeah, and this is 1975, so it's not like he had a cell phone and he was calling from the front yard. Right, right. And there were no phone booths around either. Oh, 
Don't don't so don't go thinking that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and honestly, the car phone's also a couple of years off too. So take that out of the fucking equation. Wow. Yeah. Naysayers, skeptics. Yeah, and the weird thing about this guy was that he was also wearing gray suede gloves. Can you do that? What? Can you wear gray? Yeah, you can wear a gray. They have accessories that are gray? <laughs> no, you're talking... This is very... There's a lot of weird stuff that's lumped into this. This okay. is what the term high strangeness means. There's many things that are going to f- feel incongruous, almost on purpose. Okay. And furthermore, he had no hair. He didn't even have eyebrows or eyelashes. But the most disturbing mm. feature was the man's thin, bright red lips. He had these painted Joker-like lips on. Now, I mean, like, put yourself in the man's shoes for a second. You open the door. There's this gaunt man hanging there with with a smile that is, uh, in my mind, do you remember the cut scene from Lord of the Rings when they talk to Sauron's emissary? Mm-hmm. Where he does the thing where it's like, <laughs> and it's like, you see, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that, where he's just like, uh-uh. Tell me, thank you for inviting me over. <laughs> and then he has to be like, it's very creepy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Then he looks down and he's got a sixer of Bud Light. And <laughs> I mean, that's a different story. In, that's buddy. a commercial. <laughs> wow. But still, Hopkins invited the stranger inside without even knowing his name. Well, why? Okay. All right. Once inside, the stranger started asking questions about Hopkins' latest hypnotic regression patient, David Stevens. Hmm. But as he asked the questions, Hopkins noticed that the stranger had no accent and spoke with an unemotional and monotone voice and moved robotically, again, as if he wasn't quite sure how to be human. Wow. This is the part that I love the most, is that he's sitting there, he had a very strange habit. As he was asking him about his patient, he would tap the front of his mouth using the back of his fingers, which was a very strange habit, yeah. which is, again sounds like a person who's never had a habit before, <laughs> where he's touching his thing, right. and as he would touch his face, he didn't have red lips, it was lipstick. He literally had a hole with no lips, painted on lips on top of it, and he kept wiping them off onto his gloves. He's going... Excuse me, there seems to be a problem with my lips. There seems to be a problem with my lips. Wow, that's scary. Yeah, and after the stranger gleaned as as much information as he could about David Stevens, he changed tack and started guessing the contents of Hopkins' pockets. Well, what what other content could he get other than like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I mean, that's a part of what it is. That's exactly what he got. Okay. But he turned to him and he's like, take out the coin that is in your pocket. And he reached down and he pulled it out of his, he pulled it out oh, into his palm of his hand and he said, watch the coin. And as he was watching the coin, his vision began to grow fuzzy, and he started, like, getting double, and he looked at it, and it started smoking. He's sitting there watching it, hmm. and then it changed color, and then it disappeared. Yeah, turned blue. Hmm, all right, okay. Now, this was not too long after the death of Barney Hill, oh. who, along with his wife Betty, if you'll remember, was among the first famous alien abductees. Of course. Go listen to our Betty and Barney Hill episodes for more information on that. Uh, and so the creature, whatever it was, the man in black, asked him, they're sitting there, he's like, do you know what happened to Barney Hill? No, I don't, replied Hopkins. I know that he died. Hmm. 
Do you know what he died from? A heart attack, maybe? No, that's not entirely accurate. He died because he knew too much. And then he said that he used the technique that mm-hmm. he used on the coin on Barney Hill's heart. Oh my god, and then and just like cut to like, mind freak! Uh, that seems like, that's some Chris Angel-like stuff. But it's not, he, Chris Angel wasn't there! No, he was not. No, he Chris was not. wasn't even born yet. Wasn't even born yet. Wow. Yeah. And then the stranger told Hopkins that if he wasn't careful, the stranger was going to do the same thing to him. Yeah, and th- that's don't let him into your house. Well, Barney Hill, he'd actually died from a cerebral hemorrhage, mm. but Hopkins didn't know that. He didn't know that. Yeah, and the stranger then told Hopkins to destroy everything he had on the David Stevens case. Oof. But then something seemed to go wrong. As the stranger got up to leave, his speech started slowing down, Uh-oh. and he couldn't seem to walk straight. He just said, my energy is running low. Must go now. Good night. And he wandered towards the door, like all herky jerky, like Vincent D'Onofrio from Men in Black, right. where he's like trying to get out the door and he can't use the door, mm-hmm. and he's like kind of like weirdly like shuffling yeah. down the steps. Do we know for a fact that Joe Cocker wasn't a man in black? Because I'm fairly certain <laughs> that's how he did. Oh, too big, too big. Oh, Way too big. Gotta, be, right. gotta be skinny. Oh, gotta really? be more oh. of an Ian Curtis to be a man in black. You can't be... There's not a fat man in black. There's no... They're, they're not allowed, huh? I don't think so. Okay. No. Absolutely not. Interesting. So Hopkins helped the man in black to the door, opened it up, and as soon as Hopkins opened the door, a bright light appeared in his front yard. The man in black... Did a herky-jerky walk towards it, and both of them disappeared forever. So Hopkins was freaked out, so he immediately demagnetized all the tapes of his sessions with David Stevens, and then for good measure, threw them in the fire, along with all his notes and files. Wow. That's what Madeline Kahn did in the movie Clue. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Flames. Oh, I love her. (laughs) Now, here's the big question. What the fuck was that thing? What the fuck was that thing? That's <laughs> Thank a you, Kissel. And this is where it I works. Was, yeah. I was about to actually ask that exact question without the prompt. Well, Nick Redfern and many others think that the answer to some of the most bizarre of the Men in Black tales can be summed up with a single word. Tulpas. Tulpas. Do you not remember, Kissel? What a tulpa is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what a tulpa is. I know what you guys done to him. <laughs> what is it? What's it? What is a tulpa? About, what do you mean what we done to him? <laughs> Tulpas? What do you mean? Do you know what do you think a tulpa is? Eh, you know, I'm not gonna this isn't a fashion show. <laughs> you know? I don't gotta I don't gotta get too deep into what I know about tulpas. Well, to give you a refresher. We covered these things a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A tulpa Maybe this will jog your memory. Okay. Is a kind of thought form energy ghost. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> a thought form energy ghost. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is a thought form energy ghost? It's the thing that you guys did gross things with. No. No. I don't know that. I never it, did anything gross with a tulpa. With a tulpa? No. no. He right. had a fleshlight. What do yeah. you, <laughs> I don't know. That's a, Which, and the fleshlight was very real and manufactured in yeah. China. Uh, I just use my hands. All right, I use that as well. So we all know what a tulpa is. <laughs> but it's a part of it. But it's truly like, how do you explain something like this? You 
could just straight up say that that man is lying and nothing ever happened, right? Right. Which is uh, obviously a thing which does happen quite a bit. People seek attention. But the men in black phenomenon, this is just one example of it. Next episode, we're going to go into even more of these examples of of this entity that seems to be created almost by us. Yeah. Yeah, like that with the use of a talpa. A talpa is a being that is brought into the real world from the imagination of the conjurer using nothing but sheer will. Yeah. It is theorized. No no crap. No, <laughs> no dur. Yeah. No dur. Yeah, yenzers. No, it is theorized that the men in black are actually talpas created by nothing more than the sheer imagination of Albert Bender. Hmm. Bender's possible experiences with the FBI combined with his own mental powers and the imaginations of his fellow ufologist cohorts essentially (laughs) brought a living idea into this world. Okay. I have a working theory in my mind. That if you are already seeing UFOs, don't you fucking laugh? No, at me I'm just. This I do want to know why is how is it a working theory? But I don't want to. Working theory nope. means that it hasn't been proved yet, and you're still working <laughs> I, on it. I know. I'm working <laughs> on it. I'm not even. I, Which means, and I'm writing nothing. I'm doing no math, so I'm technically not helping science at all. But I, I, have my inner belief now after reading so much about UFOs is that I believe that if you're already seeing UFOs and I believe that what we've talked about with the and especially with the Hudson Valley Triangle is that it involves something called the M&M technology which essentially we're 50% of the phenomenon that we are the we complete the circuit mm-hmm. of seeing the UFO like we bring it into existence partially because we are attempting to observe it and whatever the intelligence it is behind it it's decided that's the way it wants to present itself to us and I think men in black are the same thing mm-hmm. except they are the evil side of it well then why can't we can't we just do negative what, side of it can't we just do what parents do when they're upset with their children and be like I brought you into this world and I can take you out and then and then break these things oh I'll get into oh. that here in a second, sir. Good lord. All right. Well, the thing about talpas is that, like all living creatures, because they are living creatures, even though if they are just thought forms, talpas need to feed on something. Mm. And what talpas need to survive is high emotion. Oh. Whether yeah, it, like Roseanne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's whether it be like love, anger, or depression, what have you. Every talpa feeds on something different. Oh. But in the case of the men in black, if they are indeed talpas, what they need more than anything is fear. Oh, this. Yeah, like the Baba Duke. <laughs> yeah, or Monsters Inc. Yeah. This, Redfern argues, is why the men in black seem to go after cases that are in the grand scheme inconsequential, like the David Stevens case. Okay. Now, the men in black, they're not visiting like the Travis Waltons of the world, the men at Fire in the Sky guy, hmm. because if they were to visit that guy, then they'd just be a small part of the story. Oh. But if they visit people whose sightings are more run-of-the-mill, run then the men in black become the story. I see. They are psychic attention whores. (laughs) That is kind of a thing, is that they have to kind of almost propagate their own existence. And if they are actually a, a, a... an intelligence, mm-hmm. if they actually are a thing that exists, and this is one of the extending fingers of the thing, right. that it, it presents itself to our reality as this men in black, it will fight as hard as possible to make itself exist right. like we do, like we have to do in order to survive. And that fear, that doesn't <laughs> have to come directly from the person who opens that door. If you were all creeped out by the story we just told about the man with the bright, thin lips... I am. That would feed the tulpa. 
Oh, you no. You fed the tulpa. I fed the tulpa? <laughs> well, part of it is that we're sitting no. and joking about it, but we're also feeding the tulpa by blasting this out to our listeners. Mm-hmm. And what also, are we doing? that was the thought that kept me fucking paralyzed awake last night as I sat because my. I'll go through eventually. I'll eventually oh, tell man. the tale about how my apartment buildings it seems to be pretty haunted. We have several members of my apartment complex that have seen ghosts in our apartment complex. And I went down to the recycling bin last uh-huh. night. Where they've been seeing these fucking ghosts, really? And I'm walking around there, but like, and now all I'm seeing is the white dude fucking with the red lips, just appearing over the cars and shit. Scary stuff. I don't know. Dangerous territory we're playing in here. Well, you asked earlier how to fight back. I did. Now it could actually be argued that the movie Men in Black and the subsequent sequels actually serve against the interests of the real Men in Black, as the movies portray them as a lovable organization protecting humanity, complete with like a cute song. Real propaganda. Uh, I, I think if you want to take it really far, and this is my own thinking here, would you know, of course, influenced by the Invisibles, that if you believe that some movies are made for purposes other than money, that some movies are in essence magic rituals, then it could be that Men in Black was actually made to combat the evil Tulpa entities accidentally created by Albert Bender. It, it also did make a lot of money. <laughs> it did. <laughs> it really like did. A bunch. Wait, guys, and so can I actually then tell you, uh, so, okay, so I have actually been working on my Tommy Lee Jones impression. Okay. Can okay. I do it now? Can okay. I do it? Okay. I can't quit you. <laughs> a, I think that's uh, Brokeback Mountain. No. It's not even... It's not even an old person. You, you geese. Fix me. They were in their 20s, I think, during that film. It's an impression, though. And so we're getting there. Well, the men in black, they need fear. So if the Tulpa theory is true, then it's possible that the real men in black share more with Tinkerbell than Tommy Lee Jones. Whoa. Oh, Marcus, quit your scalding <laughs> reviews of the men in black. Well, I'm going there. I'm One going star. There. I'm going there. But on the other hand, Albert Bender's visions could have an explanation that is firmly rooted in known science. Okay. Epilepsy. Ah. Yeah. He was we- smelling weird shit. Yeah. Hallucinations, migraines, all of this could have been the result of a single of single partial seizures, also known as Jacksonian epilepsy. Hmm. And also, I love this study. This was great, Marcus. I forgot about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even the poltergeist activity mentioned could be linked to this, as it has been theorized that the unique neurological makeup in the brains of epileptics is firmly tied to RSPK, recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. Okay. There's something about the way their neurons fire that could tap into some sort of telekinetic activity. So does it make it less real, or is it still a real phenomenon? It puts this it- is always this is always the question, Kissel. Yes, like this is a part of what we're t- what we're talking about here is that is perception then reality? Like, does it become real? Like, is there also a part of it is or, or is every single thing that we now view in the paranormal umbrella is it just science yet to be discovered? Yeah. Mm. Now, even the trip to Antarctica 
by Albert Bender right. could have just been a hypnagogic waking dream. Hypnagogic being the state between wakefulness and sleep. Oh. Like you know, you know these types of dreams. Like when you're about to go to sleep and suddenly you feel like you're falling. Right. Or you like have one of those dreams where the dream is set like halfway between your bedroom and your imagination. Right. Oh yeah, it's like I woke up last night from a dead sleep. Imagine I had a water bottle squeezed between my legs and I was pissing while I was like shooting water all over the sidewalk, and then I woke up really having to pee. Mm-hmm. There you go. I actually had one of these. Uh, while we were researching this, I had a dream that uh, me and Henry were interrogating a man in black uh, in my bedroom with uh, Carolina uh, sleeping right next to us. All right. So I was in a hypnagogic awesome. state myself. There it is. Sweet, dude. But perhaps most telling is what happened to Albert Bender in the mid-50s. Ooh. That was when Albert Bender met his future wife, Betty. Oh. <laughs> the two mm. were married pretty soon after that, and from that point forward, as far as we know, there were no more visitations from the men in black. Well, she just there put are a, many. She put a stop to it. <laughs> well, <laughs> she just started having sex with him. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. we could stop because so. a part of his fantasy, I don't even we think we got to, was that when he was talking about when he went to Antarctica, is that he was also surrounded by three giant breasted greys that were rubbing lotion all over his skin to mm-hmm. cure his hypochondria. Yeah, wow. and it got very graphic. And a so, part of it, it was that. And so now, once he's got his wife doing the lotion rubbing then he doesn't need to think about aliens all the time. All right. Which I think is a cop-out. Honestly, that's <laughs> because, the happiest ending that I can think of when it no, comes to it? an alien expert or someone no. who's been visited by the men in black. He got married. He found love, Henry. Yeah, he moved uh, to California, managed a hotel for the rest of his yeah. life, and died happily at the age of 94. 94? All I know is, is that wow. my fiancé and I are uh, d- as deep involved in the alien scenario as two human beings could be together and it provides us shooting you need to find somebody that's not going to deny the best part of you and also because it, it makes it all steamy in the bedroom I don't know if you really regretted not being able to be haunted by the men in black any longer I think she might have saved him. I think he was very happy to be to put all that behind him yeah it seems yeah, very right. stressful <laughs> whatever never, the, never uh, put down the, the torch coming off and- I will never put down my sword and shield <laughs> against the alien menace but a part of this uh i so these are just some theories yes about mm. what the men in black are and we are just scratching oh, the yeah. surface no, we're at the next episode we got mothman oh we got the mandela effect Ooh. we got time cops cool. we got vampires and we got the great beast 666 himself alistair crowley wow so good right. and also Nerds going renegade. Yeah. So this is just a little bit, man. We're just sticking our fucking toe in. I hope that that you guys are ready for this next little leap because one one of my favorite things about this topic is about how deep, balls deep, it goes well, into all of it, dude. Just stirring that cork around in that big old lump of sauce, man. All right. It is it's a, cre- <laughs> it's, it's a creepy, creepy subject, to say the least. I can't wait to delve deeper into it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, All my, right. no my favorite parts are still to come. Very good. And uh-huh. I actually did even have a better uh, Tommy Lee Jones. This is actually this real. Is, okay. Are you this, gonna, actually, this is okay. real. Okay. This is this is actually this is much much better. I got I got it. If now. you say okay. I don't want your life in the accent of James <laughs> Vanderbeek, we have to end the show immediately. I, w- I will not do that. Okay. I don't want your life. That's, that's the closest. I yet. didn't do it in the fame James Vanderbeek. Yeah, no, no, that was that sounded. I don't want your life. <laughs> 
Um, all right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, thank you all for giving to our Patreon. Without you, none of this is possible. Apologies. We've been so slammed busy these past couple of weeks. Uh, we haven't gotten uh, a good, great interview for you, but we will get one up uh, very, very soon. We promise you that. Um, is there anything else that we want to talk about? Uh, just now, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you guys out on the road this summer. We've yep. still got uh, there's some tickets available for our San Diego show cool. uh, that we're going to be doing during San Diego Comic Con this year. Uh, and yeah, th- thank y'all so much, and and thanks everyone for for supporting us day after day, and thanks for supporting all the shows yep. on the Last Podcast Network. You know, you got A Blanket's Top Hat, uh, Page Seven, Wizard the Bruiser, Movie Sign with the Mads, all kinds of cool shit, yep. all available. Over we there on lastpodcastnetwork.com. Absolutely. Anything for you, Henry? I mean, we got the social meds. Um, we will be finding out uh, the exact days for our uh, appear. The, we'll be finding out the exact times for our show for the new True Crime Festival run by Brightest Young Things. Oh, yeah. I believe that the day passes have already sold out. Wow. Uh, and we will be. Really? So we'll keep a lookout for those tickets that will be re- released and the, that is. True Crime Festival will be held during November 3rd and 4th. Yes, cannot uh, wait for that. I mean, I guess people really love lanyards. Don't they, though? Wow. People love lanyards. I, I feel like, honestly, I've come around to the landlord after been after being cuffed by one of those, uh, what do you, bracelets. Oh, the bra- I, don't like I hate the bracelets. a bracelet. You yeah. can't take they're, them off. They're the worst, yeah. Oh. Lanyards. lanyards. Go with the lanyards, because you yeah. put them over your clothes, and you don't look like an asshole wearing the stupid bracelet all day long, because then you just look like you're an alcoholic, and I already have my face to show that I am an alcoholic. <laughs> um, so follow us on Twitter at Henry Loves You at Marcus Parks. Don't follow Ben Kissel. He's no longer on Twitter. Well, he got the fuck out. Know. He's well, just very, very lucky. Follow uh, in- us on Instagram. See the highlights of our lives at Henry at Dr. Fantasty at Marcus Parks at Ben Kissel, the number one. Yes. And follow Last Podcast on the left on all of the co-opted systems that are used to slowly but surely change our behavior to make sure that the corporatocracy is as comfortable as possible I, at, at LP on the left. I'm not sure if we should even plug social media anymore because I think you basically nailed it. Yeah. The yeah. corporate yeah, the corporate overlords are like keeping us in line. Yeah, they are. They love it. 40 characters at a time. Uh, did I just have a stroke? Love it. Uh, <laughs> all right, everyone. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan! Elgin. Hail me. And understand, once you delve into the world of the paranormal, the men in black are not too far behind. Magustalations, everyone. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.